You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything. available everywhere you get your podcasts. Monster Talk is supported by listeners like you. Find out how you can contribute via Patreon or with reviews at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Your contributions, large or small, make a huge difference. Thanks. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith, and this is a special Patreon bonus episode that was set up by Matthew Baxter, who has himself been on the show several times as a guest. Together, we had the opportunity to interview a man who is a director, an artist, a writer, and many other things beside, Larry Blamire. Over the course of our discussion, we mentioned quite a few movies and other projects, and I've tried to put links to all that in the show notes at monstertalk.org and on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. So let's get on to the monster talk. <laughs> We're excited to welcome Larry Blamire here to monster talk. But who is Larry Blamire? To answer that question, we brought on Larry Blamire. Well, it's too bad you don't have an expert because then he could tell you right away. Um, I, as, as, to the best of my knowledge, I am a, a writer, director, artist, uh, playwright, actor. Um, so I, I dabble in a lot of things. But most folks know me for a film called The Lost Skeleton of Cadabra, which was released by uh, Sony in 2004. And then we did several other films in that sort of genre, which was a, a kind of um, – uh, gentle uh, spoof of uh, old 
50s black and white sci-fi movies. And I'm also a painter and I've been a science fiction illustrator. So I've worn a lot of hats and that requires a lot of heads. The end. Nice. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. And, and Matthew, I should welcome you too. Well, thank you. Or right off, I have to say, geez, Larry, get a job. What? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you mean pick a job? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, does that make you an auteur? I, I saw that word the other day and I thought, do I really know what that means? And I looked it up. And it sounded like someone who wants to have control over every aspect. Yeah, I've been referred to as as that yeah. um, because I do on these on the films that I've made and other and short films. I, I have done quite the writing, the directing, and I will sometimes act in them also. So yeah, I guess it is very autorish. Cool. Congratulations! That makes you the first self-described auteur we've had on. Oh, really? Yeah. We'll That's- just refer to you as a micromanager. The closest I've come before, I think, was when I went to Olive Garden and had a tour of Italy. <laughs> you, you're quite creative. Uh, I should have warned you there would be puns. Uh, my apologies if that's an issue. So you've uh, you've created monsters for paintings, comic books, film, and uh, and I know you probably get this a lot, but how do you come up with uh, the different creatures you use in your works? Yeah, I want to in particular think we've got a lot of people in the audience who who are also creative and sometimes you know they're just looking for guidance or a little nudge you know you can do it i I think having somebody on like yourself is going to be really great for that but when you answer this question i guess we don't mean like where do you get your ideas but really literally like what are the best techniques for like generating ideas like that in the monster space a lot of the monsters i come up with in 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 paintings um or in my movies are sort of riffs on things that i saw as a kid because i was i was just absorbing all of the um, the monster movies i could um and uh uh the you know i think the gateway monster for me and probably for a lot of other kids too is is the dinosaur i mean kids discover dinosaurs and it's, it's just a very strange thing because what they were they were real they were walking around i mean that's that's phenomenal and from there you know dinosaurs lead to so many other monsters um but i i i Particularly like, uh, especially in paintings, uh, going with things that are against nature, like sort of asymmetrical monsters where you've got, uh, because, you know, nature has such symmetry. So when you do a monster with, you know, with two eyes on one side and one way up in the in the corner, I mean, th- that kind of stuff that uh, the more grotesque, the better. And I think I, I like to create creatures that. Uh, really kind of make people just sort of shake their head and worry about me. Of, of course, all kids really love dinosaurs. But when did your passion for monster movies actually begin? Um, the, uh, the the one, you know, the, seeing them on TV um, was such a revelation. I mean, King Kong used to run a lot when I was a kid on TV. And, and, uh, and, and that was certainly one of the first that I saw. And then the films of Ray Harryhausen. Uh, where, and I, I, to this day, I love stop motion animation and I, 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 I just think it's fantastic. It's, it, and you know, it's got such a solidity to it and there can be some good CGI, but I love the stop motion. And, um, and so I think those were probably the ones that, that, that sort of pu- first pulled me in the stop motion creatures and, and it creates such a, a, a strange reality. You know, it's fascinating. It does. I, I think Harry Housen and Bradbury, who were both lifelong friends and collaborators, mm-hmm. uh, both also got their start in dinosaurs. I mean, that was 
their their gateway yes. monster as well. I think it's a yeah. I bet I bet that's true for a lot of our listeners. Um, I think yeah. uh, what, what you mentioned stop motion. The, one of the cool things about uh, the stop motion stuff is how well it holds up uh, on Blu-ray in these high def formats. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of the CGI stuff. If, I don't know if this is true so much anymore, but you know, back in the day, it seemed like you could tell a difference in the pixel density between when there was a CGI effect and the sort of the film stock of the actual you know main screen. And for, I don't see that issue in, in stop motion so much. It just it looks so pra- I love practical effects. I do too, and and yeah. I think the solidity of practical effects, whether it's a man in a suit or a stop motion puppet uh, or an animatronic uh, creation. I think it creates more of a sense of wonder, and that's what drew me in as a kid. Um, it's pulling me into a certain world. And now there's so much – I mean, w- when you when you see a typical shot in a movie these days, especially a fantasy film or, or science fiction or something, um, the, you know, it, the entire world kind of looks – nothing looks real. Nothing looks real, and, and I, I, I'm just not too keen on that. I mean, I don't accept – that as a reality it's not pulling me in it's making me think oh this that's wow there's some really nice artwork right there but it doesn't pull draw me in you're, you're known for the lost skeleton of cadaver but that's not all that you've been doing and we'll talk about some of your current stuff as well um during this interview but i was curious about if did you, when you when you created that were you thinking i want this to look like a low budget movie because it has to be a low budget movie or or that sort of b 1950s style 1960s style what what were you thinking, like, what were you emulating and what really makes a great film of that style in your mind? Well, you know, it's that was a case of really the uh, the budget was driving the idea, which was driving the budget. So it was like, uh, you know, we're going to make we're going to try to convincingly make something that looks like. And originally we thought we'd make maybe like a lost movie, you know, that was discovered. So we want it to look as authentically 1950s low budget as possible. That really works out for your actual budget, which was low budget. It wasn't, you know, really was a low budget movie. So we're really like, we're really cutting corners now that, you know, having said that, it's, I mean, it, there, is a, there is a heightened sense of absurdity. Absurdity is one of my, my driving um, uh, passions. Uh, I, I just, I just love the absurd and, and really the, the uh, the Lost Skull and the Cadaver is 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 an excuse. The old movie is a framework for 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 absurdity. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you know, I, I think it it's obviously a lot of things influenced you there. I I, I was thinking about uh, some of the Corman movies. You know, it, 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 I I, <laughs> I don't know if you've read his biography, yeah. but uh, it's. it's <laughs> His autobiography, I guess I should say. About yes. it. Yeah, that it's so interesting because, you know, he doesn't his was about making money, like m- being efficient, like spending less and making more. Right. And uh, but he, he did a great job. And when he actually got more money, he did better production quality. Right. Um, but I was thinking about um, this, uh, that style that the sort of, you know, constrained by what you had when you made this. Now, you made this in, I think, 2001. Right. And uh, vi- yeah. vi- it was shot on videotape, right? Yes. And so I know a lot of people that I, I meet uh, who are curious how to break into this sort of work. Can you talk a little bit about the changes in technology between 2001 and now? Because it feels like right now people are carrying around better cameras in their pockets on the cheapest phone than I ever had access to back oh. then. 
There's no question about it. Um, but, you know, ultimately, my feeling is that it doesn't the technology doesn't matter. Uh, for instance, you can frame your shots in a certain way. If you're trying to make something look like an old movie, you can frame your shots in a certain way that that lends itself to that. Um, and then you can and you can uh, direct the actors in a certain way that makes it makes that happen, too. I guess I'm saying that to me, the, you know, the technology doesn't matter too much when we made. Uh, a few years later, we made Trailer Screaming Forehead, and that has a whole different look. It's got a sort of widescreen, uh, candy Technicolor sort of look to it, uh, and we had a much better camera at that time, so that lent itself um, to that look. Uh, and um, uh, I, I think, you know, I, I but I think access has never been better, and that's a good thing because it does mean that you can make a movie with your phone now. And really it's all about, it's so much about the storytelling that I I don't think the technology is going to change that fact. It it does feel that way though. I mean, I I see some of the stuff my wife shoots on her phone's camera. Mm -hmm. Some of the quality of the stuff she shoots looks as good as stuff I see on, you know, high end television or movies. It's just, I mean, it's really, uh, I mean, for a cat video, they're amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's true well, yeah it is it's uh it's it, it's it's gotten ridiculous i mean we are definitely carrying around in our pockets something better than we shot lost skeleton with um but you know so and so that's it that is a good thing i mean it really does mean that the kids can get into filmmaking a lot earlier than they might normally have um uh you know and i i know some who started making films as kids and, and making videos as kids. And uh, it's, it's, it's great. You know, you, you talk about the low budget of uh, a lot of these movies, but you actually have some pretty darn good actors in, in your movies. Uh, you know, Faye Masterson and Brian Howe and Jim Beaver. Yeah. What, what are you paying them with? <laughs> what do you mean paying? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, man. Exposure! <laughs> Even though Lost Skill and Cadaver cost very little, we did do it on a very low budget SAG contract, right? Because most of us working on that were SAG actors at the time. We are working within within that confine. A couple of the cast weren't uh, weren't SAG, um, but as far as the 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 people, you mentioned the quality. The, the, this, you couldn't have a better stock company. Uh, it, I'm I'm just so fortunate to to be you know to work with folks like this. A lot of them came uh, from uh, from a number of them came from Boston Theater, where I was working for years as a playwright and director and actor. And so, some of the folks were uh, friends of mine from theater, and 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 some of them were uh, new folks in, in um, L.A. Brian Howe, who came uh, from Boston along with me, an old buddy of mine. He introduced me to a lot of the folks in L.A. when I came when I got to L.A. that. Uh, came into our stock company too, so we kind of have a mix, have a mixture of uh, of folks from the east and west coast. Yeah, it's a, the the chemistry uh, between all you guys is is always fantastic, and it even carries through uh, into uh, you know tales from the pub. And it's just it's a lot yeah. of fun to watch you guys work. Now with uh, with a lot of these, you know, it seems like you you really kind of enjoy that that style of the the nineteen fifties and and that type of uh, uh, monster. Uh, in these movies, 
Is there is there a real reason that you're keeping these kind of monsters alive, that you're keeping them around? I'm still a kid when it comes to monsters, and I, I really do love them. And, and uh, you know, it's been a, there's been a, a pleasant surprise of, of, of having kids respond to these movies. Not like it's something strange and distant, but they're enjoying it on a different level. And they enjoy the monsters, which are, you know, the monsters in these movies are pretty fairly family friendly, I think. Um and that's just a, it's a great thing to keep alive. I mean, I think monsters for me were like uh, this will sound weird, but they're monsters are like a, a sort of gateway drug to existentialism. And, and by that, I mean that they jar us from a certain complacency, um, which is why I got as a kid, I got into, um, uh, you know, uh, after discovering monsters on TV, I'm then I'm then, you know, finding books in the library on the abominable snowman, Bigfoot and and the Loch Ness Monster, UFOs and stuff. And that's started a lifelong fascination with that. And I think these, you know, when people have sightings like this, there's a certain um, jarring from everyday life that actually makes us think about how weird the universe is. Because, I mean, if you're looking at superstring theory and things like that and, and quantum physics, I mean, things are weird. I mean, they're weird, you know, multiverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these are like... Um, when there's a sighting of a UFO or something, I mean, it's like a concrete, more concrete. It's a more tangible symbol of that kind of thing. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. It, it, it transports yeah. us from the mundane to the numinous. Yes. Very nicely done. Nicely said. Now, I, I want to talk really, really briefly about your uh, your Steam Wars art. I've been lucky enough to get to see some of it. It's really, to me, a huge departure from your your uh, films like Lost Skeleton of Cadavera. And some of it kind of even reminds me a little bit. Um, I don't know if you ever saw Queen's album art for News of the World. Had had these huge kind of robots that were just monstrous and frightening, but completely indifferent to the the people that they were kind of destroying accidentally. Um, what what kind of inspired your Steam Wars art? No, I, I think uh, you know it's kind of hard to say. Um... But the best I can come up with is that I uh, I remember doing a mural in high school that had a lot of things going on in it and, you know, like crazy surreal sort of things. And there was this there was this giant machine and it was sort of shaped like a uh, as if it was a Greek armor, like like kind of like Talos from Jason and the Argonauts, a little bit like that. And that might have been an influence, actually. But but there were tiny little people on top of it. and that gave me the idea for this uh, sort of alternate reality, kind of uh, very steampunk kind of reality, where war, everything's the same except war is fought uh, on these giant machines that are manned by a crew. And the adventure that, uh, the first adventure I wrote was in the form of a, of a, a diary kept by a crew member on one of these. Um, and I wanted it to have that kind of POV. And it's kind of, I want it to be kind of gritty and grimy, and we're talking, you know, we're talking coal-driven machines here that are manned by a crew, but they're mm-hmm. in the shape of giant warriors, and so you have some of that Victorian elegance combined with the raw steam power, you know, which is, which is a contrast that I find interesting, and that 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 led me to sort of create this whole world. Yeah, it seemed like it. Um, your your sense of humor didn't come through nearly as much. Um, as as this this bizarre, stark, you know, alternate reality, um, and it was really interesting to look at. 
Thank you. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's 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 fairly serious. I mean, there's a certain wry humor, uh, the way you find among the you know the of camaraderie that you find in something like Gunga Din, you know, um, sure. uh, and you know the guys who are griping at having to shovel coal and just that kind of thing. And um, there's humor in that, but. I mean, beyond that, it is pretty much a straightforward action adventure. Since we had mentioned the Queen album, Frank Kelly Frias was the artist on that. Editor's note, it's actually pronounced like freeze. On that, on both the Queen cover and the actual, it was actually a takeoff on a Weird Tales cover he'd done years and years before. So he was a, uh, a longtime old Weird Tales artist. So I just, I'll put some show notes about that, too. He's just an interesting character. Um, he did, he did some great stuff for Mad Magazine too. Oh, that's awesome! All right, but okay. Speaking of Lost Skeleton and Cadavra, uh, all these years later, are you are you still finding new fans? Are you are you hearing from people who are like first just now getting in touch with it? I I, I never stop hearing from fans. That's awesome. Um, I will get you know on a weekly basis a new you know a message on Facebook or Twitter. Um saying how much they love the movie, how much it means to them. It and and for a lot of people it's kind of a it's kind of a comfort food. It's kind of a go-to thing. Like I, I've heard people say, you know, they were kind of down and they put on lost skill and that's the best feeling. I've had people I don't mean I don't know, I, this might not sound right, but um people illing have found uh comfort in the movie too, which I'm very grateful for. That's great. And as I before kids um Kids seem to like it too. So hey, kids like it too. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my uh, one of my friends I, I, is a huge fan, and he told I told him that you were going to be on, and mm-hmm. he wanted me to pass this along, uh, which is that uh, he showed this movie to his nine year old nephew, and uh, when they got to the line, oh, it's you, the idiot, uh, he lost it, and apparently even all these years later, he just continues to use that line for you know for his uncle there. I don't That's know if it's to his uncle, but he said he wanted to let you know, thank you so much for that because it's led to so many fun memories. So. Thank you for that. That reminds me of another fun thing, which is, um, and people think I get sick of this, but I don't. People quote from the movie all the time. Uh, and and apparently there's a number of uh, lines to quote that people remember and say frequently, like around the house. That's That's very flattering. That is. Really. That's nice. Yeah, a strong mimetic content. <laughs> so when you're at like uh, cons and stuff, do people yell these out to you from across the room? Uh, it, it, no, they come up to me and yell in my face. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, if it's a lost skeleton, you've got to yell it because he yells everything. That's that's true. Is there, is there a particular fan favorite line that you hear the most often? I sleep now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That would probably be it. Yep, that might be it. That might be it. I mean, there's there there's quite a, there's a few, but but that might be the one I hear. I was thinking about the influences on Lost Gallatin. Would you say? I mean, were you influenced by Ed Wood, by Roger Corman? Like, who who did you feel like was the strongest influence? It was yeah, and I'm asked this question a lot, and I think it comes. It's really my answer is pretty much that I was like a sponge for all these movies, and and and. Um, you know, I was watching all kinds of horror movies, but it was those 1950s sci-fi horror movies that really grabbed me for some reason. And so when I wrote Lost Skeleton, which was in a matter of days, it just kind of came out. And I was drawing on all this, all um, all of these movies that I had absorbed over the years. 
But the one speci- the most specific thing I would say is the crowbar and lattice, the alien couple, are very much inspired by Eros and Tanav from um, Plan 9 from Outer Space. So Ed Wood deserves a lot of credit. And his his wonderful language, I mean, there's nothing quite like Ed Wood language. Um, and that was Your a big... Stupid mind. Stupid, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> you see? You see? Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. Exactly. You know, and and and, uh, and that was a big influence on me and on, on, um, on creating a specific kind of language for the film. Uh, not just for the aliens who have a very unique way of talking, but but for everybody, you know. Um, and I love words. I'm a word guy. I love words. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. I have to tell you, Larry, um, the uh, the other normal co-host uh, for uh, this show, Karen Stolzno, uh, she uh, she tends to hate everything, but <laughs> she really, really loves your wordplay that you write. Uh, she's a, a Ph.D. linguist, and um, she absolutely loves the wordplay that you have. So she has watched everything. So she- well, thank you. Thank you for that. Now, w- with the Lost Skeleton, the Lost Skeleton himself is the main an- antagonist. Uh, and then you've got, of course, uh, Anamala. You got Dr. Roger Fleming. And then you got the mutant himself as this extra bad guy. Now, was it a, a kind of a common tactic in these 1950s B films to to kind of have a, a a team of bad guys, even if they weren't on the same team? You know, he's kind of. Um, it's. I think it's a very touching finale for him, though. And I think that he, as someone says, he can't. He he sort of can't help it. I think it's Betty that says that. Uh, and and so he's sort of he's sort of a mixed bag. I think he's I think he's somewhat sympathetic, whereas the skeleton is not at all. I mean, we essentially have. Two monsters in the movie, the mutant with a, a great costume 
built by my friend uh, Courtney Skinner, and the and the skeleton himself, who is probably the cheapest movie monster you could come up with. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a skeleton, you know. So uh, right. plastic, and and I wasn't quite thinking of this intentionally until I got to the end of end of it that uh, that it was. You know, you've got sci-fi horror movies in the 50s. Well, here's sci-fi and horror in the monsters. The mutant is a sci-fi monster. Uh, you know, I hadn't set out to do that specifically, but I, but there they are battling sci-fi and horror battling at the end. It's like the, the, the duel, the titanic duel at the end of the universe there. Oh, and what a duel it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Now, I have to ask, that. You know, I, I loved the sequel. Um, but we were teased that there was going to be a threequel with uh, the, the Lost Skeleton Walks Among Us. Is there any hope? Well, there's always hope. And um, and that kind of leads me into something which I, I'm going to tell you about. I can say this because when this uh, is heard, it will be after the date when I can announce it. So I'm gonna, I, can, I can say this now that we are doing a... We're not at Lost Skeleton 3 yet, but we are about to um, put out a, um, a Blu-ray of The Lost Skeleton Returns again with, um, with almost two hours worth of extras. Uh, there's a 40-minute behind-the-scenes uh, making of uh, some, some wonderful footage there. Um, there's two new short films that I'm making, um, Similar to a film that I made called uh, a short I made called uh, A World Without Lost Skeleton, which you can see on uh, on YouTube. Um, yeah, in that, yes, I'm making two videos uh, like that, um, and we're going to do a uh, we're going to do a Kickstarter for this. Um, and you know, I think that this, if this Blu-ray does well, we could lead to perhaps Blu-rays of my other movies, and uh, and who knows? I mean, maybe something like this will help get the attention or uh, whatever's needed for a Lost Skeleton 3. We'll see. I'm always open-minded about about number three. But we're, we're excited about the Blu-ray, and it's going to look phenomenal. So um, that's good. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's very exciting. I, I loved, uh, you know, some of the, again, some of the, the, the lines in um, uh, both the, the original Lost Skeleton and the sequel. Um returns again uh were just great i loved the when they were out in the woods and uh faye masterson's character hears uh some noise and uh asks uh the ranger what what it could be and he says oh that sounds like something from the monster family that whole uh <laughs> little section right there i really feel blake should be using in the intro of this show <laughs> And I think this yes. is the perfect time to ask for permission to use it because yeah, it's so have, perfect. Yeah, well, yeah, if you if you do want to go that route, please do. Yes. Awesome. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, mentioning Lost Skeleton Returns again, um, that is more of a monster movie than the first one. Uh, and it it um, I didn't want to do, you know, a sequel. It was more of the first one. So it's a very different. It's a jungle adventure, basically. And of course, it and it turns into color way through the film which was which was a fun thing to do but the monsters in that the two main monsters in that are the Graumanopodon and the Magraclop and they are each uh, one one of them is named in the scientific manner and the other one is named in the in the more mythological manner the Magraclop sounds more mythological uh Graumanopodon I think is sort of you know semi-scientific sounding name I mean it sounds like a prehistoric mammal name 
Yeah. And, and again, that was something I didn't like intentionally do. I only thought about that after the fact that their names sort of made one science based and the other um, mythology based. Um, but uh, but I, I was very I was very pleased with that movie. And I think uh, I, I, I think it was uh, I'm glad we did something that was that different from the first one, you know, because I don't not, I'm not crazy about sequels in general. It's every time a good one comes out, people are like, oh, look, a good sequel. It's so rare. And then uh, every time a bad one comes out there, well, the sequels are never good. So I, I don't really actually know what the stats are. <laughs> but I, I, it's clear you at least love vintage movies, these old B-movies, 1950s styles. But what, how do you feel about modern movies? What Are there movies you really are enjoying these days? Yeah. I don't see everything that comes out. I mean, I don't see a whole lot. I, if something interests me, I go check it out. I think my favorite movie in recent years was a film called Triangle, which is truly strange. And um, uh, I, I'm interested in films that really go somewhere different and, and, and aren't afraid to do that. Triangle was one of them. It's about five, six years old now, maybe. Um and, and I'm going to blank on the filmmaker's name. It's a British filmmaker. And uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. Triangle is a 2009 film directed by Christopher Smith. No relation. A link to it will be in the show notes. That was one that really stuck out for me. And there's another film called Coherence, which is really strange. I'm, intri- I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm intrigued by high strangeness. Yeah. Does so, it really go somewhere weird? And and. Uh, in, in a subtle way, you know, that that really intrigues me. I'm catching I'm still catching up with movies. I saw Hugo the other day, which I'd never seen. It was pretty wonderful, you know, and, um, and I, I, you know, it, it didn't sound great to me, but I, I, I but I'm glad I saw it. It was, yeah. it, was it was really good. I actually wanted to ask about two things. Uh, first off, you were talking about naming these monsters in uh, um, Lost Skeleton Returns again. I've noticed over all of your work that I've been exposed to, the names you come up with seem to be pulled from somewhere different. Do you have a formula? I mean, you, you got a stroopy long neuter and, you know, like <laughs> lattice and crowbar. You, you've got just these uh, really bizarre names. Do you, do you have a formula for creating character names? Yeah, it's the, the first and most important thing is, is, does it sound good? Is it like, I think of uh, billiard balls clicking together. Does it have a certain, uh, the consonants, clicking together in a pleasing manner and if see if they do that then it can kind of sound like hey that might be a real name i think i think i want it to be a ridiculous name that sounds like it could be it sounds like it could be real you know truffin like truffin newbin who introduces the character that andy arts plays here <laughs> yes i love truffin newbin truffin newbin i mean it sounds it sort of sounds right at first i mean you think about it Wait a minute, Truffin? No, no. That's. I think if there's a key, if there's a formula for me, I think it's that. Well, you know, speaking of Truffin Newbin, all of the the tales from the pub, I just I love them, and, I, and people need to go to YouTube and watch these. They're each about two minutes long, um, and they're just great. And they, they kind of, to me, they they recall kind of like uh, little shorts of like a Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits or Night Gallery or one of those old things. Yeah, was there a specific show you were kind of spoofing when you were making that series? It it um, it, it comes. I think it, the one it comes closest to is One Step Beyond, uh, that John Newland hosted, and um, and they're available on DVD. You can you can see these, and 
And oh, not, not the Madness song. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the House of Fun, though. <laughs> um, you, you know, and, uh, and, and there's a little bit of Twilight Zone, too. I think, for instance, the one called um, uh, Puppet for Your Thoughts is maybe more of Twilight Zone than One Step Beyond. Um, right, right. But, uh, but, you know, and I think people think when they watch these two, I, I'm sure some people think that, I, you know, that while wow, he's really, you know, he's really making fun of these shows. But I love those shows. I really love those shows. So I, I, my interest is in, again, absurdity. You know, they're like little outlets for being just really absurd and absurdist. Um, and, uh, I actually, I have a genuine fondness for those actual shows, but they were fun to do. And they were great exercises because you got to, you got two minutes, you kind of in and out, you got to make your point. You got to make the story happen in two, two and a half minutes. And that's it, which is a nice challenge. It's a nice filmmaking challenge. Do you plan to ever create a movie that's actually set in modern times or do you kind of feel like, uh, the fifties is your medium? No, you know, um, after Lost Skeleton and Cadaver, I mean, I was doing, I was doing theater for years. I was a playwright for for a number of years in the Boston area. The first thing I ever wrote was a dark western, really dark. And uh, I also wrote a very dark play about Irish gangs in eighteen uh, nineties New York City. Um, and I wrote a science fiction piece called Interface, which was uh, set in war times, kind of uh, based on the uh, alleged Philadelphia experiment. Um, and uh, my point is that I'm all over the place. I mean, I love a lot of different stuff, uh, but Lost Skeleton kind of got me into a, a, a kind of cubbyhole me a little bit there. And, you know, I followed up with another Lost Skeleton and Trail of Screaming Forehead and, and um, Dark and Stormy Dark Night. And Dark. And so, yeah, so I'm kind of in I, I, I'm kind of in that, but I'm doing all these other things. I co-wrote a film with Kyle, my friend Kyle Rankin uh, oh. called Witch Files that um oh you know you know kyle of course i know kyle yeah yeah and um i co-wrote that with him that's a modern day setting um i there's a film i'd like to write later this year when i get some deadlines out of the way that is also in a modern day setting kind of a dark comedy so despite what it seems you know the labeling of lost skeleton i, I like all this different stuff yeah, it, it's a uh, and it's great because I've seen a lot of your different stuff. And I, I want to mention to Blake too. I don't know if Blake knows that um, uh, Larry's got a lot of great artwork that's uh, for sale. He'll often you know put stuff up for sale on uh, whether it's uh, uh, Facebook or whatever. But um, he's also kind of available, I guess you could say, if you've got ideas for something that you would like to have turned into art. Uh, he I, I used to love those old magic or the magician posters. You know where they would have yeah, like yeah. the and like the little devils and stuff around their you know around their heads and stuff like that. And I uh, contracted uh, Larry to paint me in one of those, actually me and Brian, and it turned out so beautiful. It was absolutely amazing. Thank and you. That was, we, we, that was such a fun gig. Really was awesome. Yeah, and and the thing is, is I, I, people need to know that you know they can get a, a custom piece of artwork done that has. Larry's name down at the bottom. And to me, that just makes it so valuable in itself. Um, but uh, so, yeah, uh, hit him up on, on Facebook or something. If uh, you've got an idea and you want to have him uh, do some work for you, it's, it's great stuff. Yeah, if you have a particular email or however you'd like to be contacted, we put that in the show notes, too, for, for contract work. 
Oh yeah, the the, um, uh, the easiest way is my I have two Facebook pages, the personal page and the and the public page, uh, and anyone can, you know, I hear I get messages through my public page all the time, and the same with Twitter too. So Twitter is you know I'm available on there, and uh, those are the two best ways to reach me. Uh, recently, I've been doing some art for um, and writing for an RPG. Uh, started it last year actually, and it's been kind of a long ongoing gig. Um, and I've done a lot of writing for them too. And it's called, they came from beneath the sea. Ooh, that sounds uh, good. And yeah, a very clever fellow named Matthew Dawkins uh, got in touch with me and it, he came up with this for Onyx path. And I, I knew nothing about RPG. I still don't know a lot about role playing games, but, um, but nevertheless, I was able to do a lot of writing for it because it was, uh, 50 sci-fi stuff. Um, that's sort of the base for it. Um, and have had some uh, real fun uh, illustrating for them too. Um, so that's been that's been a nice gig. But, yeah, I, I love role playing games, and, and there was um, a Call of Cthulhu is a, one of these role playing games that I really like. It's based on H.P. Lovecraft's work, and they yeah. had a uh, they had some modules that were I think they were called Blood Brothers and Blood Brothers Two, and one of the ones they were all basically movie kind of plot. So just you know various kinds of movies but your characters would go through these scary scenarios uh you know based on a film type and one of the ones they had was mexican wrestling movies and <laughs> it was so awesome uh to be able right. to uh sort of play around with that idea and that's the closest i've ever come to creating anything in this space but uh, it, it is neat uh how you know despite all the color and all the special effects improvements they've had over the years and all these other things you can still have such a great time in, in that space. And, you know, those movies hold up well. And, yeah. And your, your homage is, uh, I think, uh, it's, it's a nice mixture of comedy and, and, uh, respect. Actually, it's, I really, this, unfortunately, as much as we like talking to you, this is supposed to be our last question. We like to finish up our, uh, interviews, uh, with this. It's really our signature question. Oh. I don't know if anyone prepared you or not. So give you a little actually, time. I've heard, heard a couple of shows. So. Okay. Well, there you go. All right. What, is your favorite monster? Well, can I give you from <laughs> two answers, which is one from movies and one from uh, real life, as far as we know it? Sure. Well, the the one I think the one from the movies would have to be the Cyclops in the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Ooh, that's a good one. Which good. The, the emoting there is just brilliant. The, the design of him uh, or them, there's more than one, was like nothing before it, and it was copied somewhat afterwards, but I find that to be a, a, a wonderful, wonderful monster. And as far as monsters that may or may not exist, um, I, I just love the whole, you know, the, the, the Kelly uh, Hopkinsville um, event uh, uh, in the 50s? You heard of you I know have that? heard of this, yeah. Well, that to me, I mean, is such a compelling story. Uh, the whole siege on the house, I mean, the whole, the imagery of it, Whatever the truth behind it, it's a phenomenal tale, and so that might be those might be my favorite monsters in real life. If they I, I was probably understating it when I said I'd, I'd heard of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the the we we did a, a three episode arc on it. Uh, it's it's been one of those monsters I've loved since I was a kid for for the yeah. same reasons, and uh, actually. I I still haven't made I've, I've got I shot video of this but I haven't put it together put it online yet and I need to 
I did talk about this in uh, Kentucky uh, at uh, CryptidCon last year. But what what it is is when back in the original casework around that, they uh, one of the skeptical complaints about the whole thing was uh, people thought that they for some reason skeptics thought that the uh, family had not actually shot through the window screens. They had just those were fake. They just poked a hole in the screen with sticks, right? Yeah. And mm. uh, and and I think one of the complaints was that they, they were shooting out the window with a, a, a twenty gauge shotgun. You know, it should have made a bigger hole. You know, and and uh, you know a different pattern. And then also they were shooting twenty two, but they said that could have just been done with a pencil. So mm. I, I looked, and I, nobody had actually done this really simple experiment. So taking the notes for how far away uh, the people were from the screen window, I just took a twenty gauge and a twenty two out in the country and shot up a screen window. Really? Yeah. And it turns out that uh, what they had in their screen perfectly matches what I got in my test. Uh, the twenty gauge blows a hole about only about two inches across uh, from the distance that they were shooting. And that then, blast pattern is going to increase the farther distance. Exactly, right? exactly. It would, but at that distance, it's it's smaller than my fist. It's just a little punch hole. And uh, I videotaped myself shooting this, and uh, I have some. Nice, uh, uh, good, clear photos of that just kind of. So, you know, it doesn't prove anything except that it continues to support the fact that no matter what was really going on, those people were terrified and were shooting out their window. I don't think they were attacked by a, a gang of owls. That's yeah, my point. Well, you know, <laughs> if there were owls, they probably weren't drunk. That's important. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I, you know, you asked me about uh, recent movies, and I, I, I want to mention. Uh, I discovered Small Town Monsters last year. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a Seth Breedlove fan. Yeah, I heard heard your show uh, when when uh, Matthew asked me to be on here. I heard I, I listened to that show, and um, and just I'm a big fan of those uh, that he's doing. I think it's it's great stuff. Oh yeah, and I love the uh, speaking of art. I love the poster art that they put together. The, yeah. the uh, I've got one. Uh, I've actually got two on the wall up above me. Uh, the the one for the Flatwoods is just. Beautiful. I, I, that, that is a great poster. And, and, and can I just say, his recreation of Flatwoods Monster uh, on no budget was far superior to the show Blue Book that did <laughs> a just horrible episode. <laughs> It based on supposedly on the Flatwoods thing. I, I, I don't even think they say. Don't they say inspired? They don't even yeah. say based. It's like that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uses words from actual cases. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Bless their hearts. That's what we say down here. Uh, so. <laughs> well, Larry, it, it's been really great talking to you. Thanks. Um, like, likewise. Likewise. And I, I'm, I'm just I'm thrilled to actually to discover Monster Talk. I confess that I did not know about this, and I'm, you know, I'm now I'm a, a fan. Awesome. Well, I bet we're going to have some new Lost Skeleton fans after this as well. Cool. So I, do, I wanted to ask really quickly, is there anything that you're working on right at the moment that you want to squeeze in real quick uh, that uh, we can be sure to mention? Uh, yeah, uh, thanks. I, the, well, the RPG I'm, uh, is ongoing, and um, uh, that uh, they came from Beneath the Sea. Um, if folks are into RPG and 50s sci-fi, definitely check that out. A lot of fun stuff there. 
and uh, look for the Kickstarter, and there'll be an Indiegogo as for the um, Lost Skeleton Returns again Blu-ray with almost two hours of extra, never before seen before material. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith, and today you heard Matthew Baxter and me interview Larry Blamire, director, artist, and writer, about his work as an independent filmmaker and the creator of The Lost Skeleton of Cadavra, and much more. Check the show notes for links to the Kickstarter for the 10-year anniversary Blu-ray of The Lost Skeleton Returns Again. Hurry on over to that link if you want to get in on this, because there's not much time left. Monster Talks, an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views expressed on this show are those of myself and my guests and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. Thank you for making time for us in your busy, busy lives. to stay abreast of the latest from Skeptic Magazine and the Skeptic Society? Want cutting-edge skeptical articles delivered straight to your inbox every week? Then subscribe to eSkeptic, the free electronic newsletter of the Skeptic Society. Visit skeptic.com to sign up. Oh, say, you don't believe those old legends about the lost skeleton of cadaver, do you? <laughs> Ranger Brad, I'm a scientist. I don't believe in anything. <laughs> <laughs>